morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Uh, well, happy Father's Day again. Uh, a special happy Father's Day to my dad, wherever he is. Uh, congrats, Pops. You accomplished what no dad ever has before. You created the perfect child. So, <laughs> pastor joke, check. Let's keep going. Um, so, if you haven't been here for the last five weeks, neither have I. Um, you guys have graciously let me have a couple weeks off. And, um, so here's just a couple things that we've done while we haven't been here. Um, last week, we were able to uh, go, um, our church plant in Delon, nope, where did go? Milledgeville ordained their elders. Um, so we were kind of, they were under our watch care until they developed and raised up their own elders, and they have, uh, which is huge in the life of that church, that within their first year, they've developed two godly men. So now Kyle has Tyler and Bailey helping him lead down there, which is phenomenal. I went to the Southern Baptist Convention. Yep, okay, that's the exact response I thought I was going to get. It was my first one. I voted in some things. It was fun. Uh, we are Southern Baptists. If you want to leave now, I understand. Um, but got to experience that. Our family got to see, bro, sorry. Uh, yeah, it happens. Uh, every time, they're like, oh, we're Southern Baptist? Yes. And I don't even know what that means. Um, got to go on vacation with my family. Got to go to three weddings in the same weekend, uh, which was Lucy. Congratulations. Christian and Elena, congratulations. Uh, Madison and Zach, forget them. They're dead to us because they left. So, bye. Um, yeah, got to go on vacation with our family. Got to preach at Mercy Hill, which is our third church. So we have three churches within our network. Um, so got to go experience all that. But then I think the most important thing, beneficial, just got to rest. I don't know if you guys have realized what all has happened in the last year. Um, but I told our elders back in May, like, I am just tired uh, we have had, uh, we planted our first church, which has been awesome, but through that process, I lost my right-hand man, which was Kyle, um, which don't ever tell him this, and I'm going to take this off. He's phenomenal. He was like, now that he's gone, I realize how great he was, but I don't want him to hear this and get a big head, so <laughs> Kyle is awful. Um, <laughs> don't miss that guy at all. No, so St. Kyle, which was huge, um, undertook the kind of shepherding of what it looks like to help lead a church this three hours away. Uh, we adopted Kennesaw into the network, which has created a lot of workload. We had 10 people in our church leadership pipeline last year. This year, we're going to have 19. Dear gracious Lord Almighty, help me. Um, but then on top of all of that, we grew by 100% last year. Uh, so the Lord has been generous in all that he's been doing. It's been great to see how faithful he's been to us. It's him that leads this church. It's none of us. Uh, but with all that being said, I was tired, and so I'm very gracious that you guys allowed me to have a couple weeks off, and uh, I was still here, we were still working, but just not preaching. I don't, I don't know if you've ever preached, but the bandwidth that's required to think through and pray through a sermon for the week is just exhausting, so thank you from the bottom of my heart, thank you for letting me have um, some time off. So if you have your Bibles, Romans 11, we're going to continue into the summer series that we've been in, um, just titled, What is God? Uh, who is God? What has he done? What does he look like? All that kind of, what are the characteristics of this God that we worship? Uh, and and it's, it's huge for a couple different reasons. Um, one, can we actually answer that question? Who, who is God? Matt Thomas preached, this is probably, where's Matt at? Hey, Matt. Uh, he preached probably two years ago and just threw out the statement that has rattled in my brain since then. But if we understand all that God is, we don't understand God. So we're trying to answer this question, who is God? We have to start out saying that, that we can never answer that question 
fully. Now, Bedini Aiken, the president of Southeastern, puts it this way. We cannot know God fully, but we can know him truly. So we start to wrestle with this question, who is God? We have to kind of understand that there's a mystery, there's a depth that we'll get to this morning, that we cannot fully know everything about God, but we can know him truly. Through his word, we can understand his character and his love for us. But then the other side of it is our, our faith is dependent on some knowledge of God. Can we have faith in something that we don't understand, that we don't know, that we'd have no framework for? So this might be the most trivial, pivotal question for us. Because trivial, we, we can run and, and go in these different directions, but pivotal, that this is the linchpin of our faith. Who is God actually? So the Westminster Catechism, which we keep quoting through this series because we're good Presbyterian, I mean Baptist, um, says this. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So as we're going through this series, we need to make sure that we have both of these in check. That the chief end of man is to glorify God, but also to enjoy him forever. So there's two totally different components here that we need to make sure we understand every time we look at a different attribute of God. We must marvel at his power, at who he is, but it can't stop there. We also have to enjoy him. We have to worship him. We have to enjoy the truth that this means for us. Because if we just live over here, we're going to have this crazy academic faith that like we're, we're just the book nerds. We have our glasses and I can tell you everything about God, but I've never actually experienced him. But if we walk over here, we can tell all the experiences that we have, but it's totally contradictory to what scripture says. The, the Village Institute puts it this way, that you have an objective knowledge of God and a subjective knowledge of God. So whether you're the most hard-hearted atheist in America, you're going to have an objective knowledge that God is love, that everyone knows that, that everyone understands that, but they live in this camp because they've never understood the subjective that God loves me this much. They've never understood the power of the cross and what his love actually means. So I'll put it this way. Maybe this makes more sense. I was at the SBC this week. What if I got in the car, I called my wife and said, I cannot wait to get home, to run my fingers through your beautiful blonde hair, to look into those blue eyes and kiss those big lips of yours. Well, that's a problem because she has none of those characteristics. She's got cute teeny little lips, she's got brown hair, and she's got marble eyes. Do you think she's going to go, oh, you tried. Like, that's cute. I'll see you. No, I'm going to get a divorce. That's what's going to happen <laughs> if I say that. So I'm over here, I have this subjective, I have the emotion of what it means to be in love, but the objective knowledge of who my wife is, I totally missed. Or a lot of us, we were standing over here, and I can tell you every fact about the Grand Canyon and, and how it was created and all the facts that goes with it, but I've never actually walked over here and stood and looked over the Grand Canyon and just had that marveling stirring in me. So as we're going through this series, we have to make sure we're doing both, that we understand the objective knowledge, the true doctrine of God, and we glorify him, but we enjoy him forever, that this manifests itself in worship and praise and adoration for who he is. So over the last five weeks, we've had a couple different guys come up here, which, just sidebar, did you guys know that in our almost five years of church history, we've never brought in an outside speaker like we did once on accident, he wasn't supposed to preach and just preached, I'll tell you that story later. <laughs> I knew that was coming. 
but God has just given us incredible men that love their family, that love the word and can preach the gospel. So Dylan opened us up five weeks ago now on why it matters to contemplate who God is. That Tozer would say that when what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So it's important that we contemplate, that we meditate, that we read about the character of God. And then after that, Peter got up and talked about uh, the solitariness of God, which is kind of a made-up word, that God needs nothing, that it's fully complete by himself. And then Dylan got back up the week after and talked about the Trinity and how the Trinity manifests itself into our life today. And then Carlton got up last week and told all of you that you stink and to never come back. Um, is that what you said, Carlton? Carlton, okay. Uh, no, he talked about the immutability that God does not change and so this morning, we're going to talk about the supremacy of Scripture, what this looks like for us, uh, supremacy of God through the Scriptures, and what this means for us. So let me give you a quick definition of supremacy before we jump into Romans 11, just four short verses. Supremacy is the state or condition of being superior to all others in authority, power, and status. So what we're looking at is God and his character is superior to all others in authority, power, and status. And let me just kind of throw this out real quick. Two little caveats. You might hear some overlap of God's character, so immutability and, and the Trinity and, and God's, or, did I miss Daniel? Daniel, bro, where's Daniel at? I am so sorry. I'm, Daniel preached the, the house down uh, on preaching on God's sovereignty. You should go back and listen to that on the podcast. His first sermon here, he killed it, sovereignty of God and, and how that affects our suffering, how that changes our view and our life because if God is sovereign over everything, then what do we worry about? We can trust him. So there's going to be some attributes that, that kind of overlap and supremacy and sovereignty kind of overlap a little bit, which is a good and right thing that we understand all of that. So with that being said, Romans 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 33. Romans 11, 33 through 36. Romans 11, just four quick verses. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Let me read that part one more time. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that might be repaid? From him, from, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So as we talk about the supremacy of God, we're going to use verse 33 as kind of an outline for us. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. So what does it mean that God is supreme? That the depth of his riches, his wisdom, and knowledge knows no bounds. So that's going to be our working definition this morning of the supremacy of who God is. Now, now let me just kind of let the cat out of the bag real quick. Um, one, I'm going to preach a really long time because I haven't done this in five weeks and I'm just ready to go. It's not, yeah, Bree's like, you need to go preach because I'm tired of you talking. Um, the other side of it is just being honest. I don't know. I mean, and I could be wrong here. Here's my assumption. I don't know that for the most of you, I have to convince you that God is supreme, which I'm going to try to through Scripture. I think the hard part for all of us is that I've got to convince you that you're not, and I'm not. So when we look at God's character, 
Yes, we're going to value him as supreme. But what is holding us back, what is limiting us from seeing that, is not that we don't understand that God is supreme. It's ultimately we believe that we are. And our actions and the way we spend money and the way that we talk and the way that we dress and the way that we worry, the way that we dream, that, that we put ourselves on the supremacy of everything, not God. So that is kind of the framework for this morning. So the context of Romans 11, Paul is working through this hard doctrine of salvation and how it works. Is it for the Jews? Is it for Gentiles? Is it for Israel? And so he's summing up Romans 9 through 11 is this summarization of how salvation actually works, how it actually takes place. And this is how he ends it. And he starts with the exclamation of O. Oh. That he is rejoicing, that he is worshiping, that he is, as he has written this letter of here's how salvation works for the Jews and the Gentiles, and there's mystery in there. Oh. So when we start understanding God's supremacy, we see Paul, he's starting with this idea by worshiping, by exclaiming, oh, the riches of who God is. So as we start to think through supremacy, is that our first reaction when we hear that word? The supremacy of God, does it come with an exclamation of excitement in our voice and our tone of, oh, God is supreme. Oh, let me worship him. Let me adore him. Let me praise him. Oh, the exclamation of his supremacy. And if it doesn't, we've got to get to the heart issues of why. So he starts with, oh, when he jumps straight into this word, depth. Oh, the depth. Now, this word, I, I love the imagery that he's starting to set in because you would think as he's talking through, Paul would have used the word height. Oh, the height. Oh, the, the heavenlies of his mercy, of his riches, of his goodness. But he uses the word depth because we can see pretty high, can't we? With, with a good sun, with a good light, we can see the top of these incredible buildings. But as we're peering into the abyss of depth, there's no way we could see the bottom of this. So the imagery that Paul's trying to use here is as we talk about the supremacy of God, the first thing that we have to see is that it is deep. There is no way we can ever get to the bottom, the foundation of God, his nature, and his character. He explains it in verse 33 that how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. How impossible is it to understand the depth of our God? How impossible is it to understand the depth of our God? This is, this is what it means to be supreme, that it is impossible for us to understand the depths of it. Because listen, we don't worship things that we understand. Are you all tracking with that? There's no natural worship that stems out of us when we understand how it works. I love America's Got Talent, anyone else? And by that, I mean, I've never actually watched it. Facebook has figured out that I love America's Got Talent and it just keeps popping up and keeps sucking me in, right? So there's, there's two kind of magicians on America's Got Talent. The guys that are awful, right, that you see the strings in the background and no, they don't get the golden buzzer, they get X, they get kicked out of there. Why? Because we understand how it works. But even last night when I was finishing up this sermon, hopped on Facebook for a few minutes, and this guy kept peering, pulling like beer mugs out of everywhere. Have y'all seen this? Can I say beer in a Southern Baptist church? Is that, are y'all going to like get the, yes, we're we good? Beer, we're okay. He gets pulling them out of everywhere and it just draws up and be like, this guy's fantastic because he just pulled a beer out of a shoe. How does that even work? And he pulled it out of his jacket and they had this paper bag. He just kept pulling it out. But the mystery of that is what calls me to worship. 
the mystery of what was taking place that I could not explain what was happening stirred up something in me that looks and feels and tastes like worship. So if we understand completely who God is, we're not going to worship him. If we understand fully everything about his nature and his character, we neglect the fact of his depth, then we're never going to worship him or value him as supreme because he's not. Because we can figure everything else out about him. Daniel 2.22 puts it this way, that he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. That he reveals the deep and hidden things. That, that we can't see them, that we can't understand them, we cannot get to them. Oh, the depth of the supremacy of God. That it knows no boundaries, it knows no limits, it just keeps going and going and going. And this should stir emotion, this should stir worship in us. But there's a level of thought, understanding, and knowledge that we cannot for the life of us ever get to. So the question is, as we keep wrestling through this definition of supremacy through Romans 11, is have we stood there and pondered the depth of God? I mean, has that been a thought that's raced in our mind? Is it possible that God's knowledge goes deeper than this? Is it possible that his understanding is deeper than what's happening here? Have we stood on the edge of what would be the Grand Canyon of his depth and peered over wondering how deep his knowledge and supremacy goes. But we often just get too busy. We get wrapped up in our own mind that we are the supreme ones, that I am deep, I understand here, right? So the next word that he uses is the riches. Oh, the depths of his riches in wisdom and knowledge. Oh, the depths of his riches. And, and I think this one we know. We, we know that God owns everything because God makes everything. That he owns it all because he made it all. He is the supreme ritual. And there's nothing that he cannot get. There's nothing that he cannot have. There's nothing that right now in this moment he doesn't already own or possess. Because he made it all. It's all his. But does our life line up to the supremacy of his riches? Does our life actually fit into the mold that God owns it all, he made it all, it's all his, or is it up to us to be supremely rich? Romans eleven thirty five 35 puts it this way, that who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. So in, in this, we start to see the idiocracy of this doctrine, that we think that we can owe him, that we think we can pay him back. Not trying to put a damper on Father's Day, but, but here's kind of what it's like, right? I don't know what my kids pl have planned for me this afternoon. I'm sure they're going to go to the store and buy something and everything's going to be fine. And, oh, that's sweet, honey. Thank you so much for this. But here's the reality. The, the, the branch church is very generous and allows my wife to stay home, which means that I am the sole breadwinner for our family, which means anything I receive today for Father's Day, I actually bought, Right? So anything that's, do I have a kid in here? No, okay, so anything that breaks, anything I go, oh, great. I'm sitting in my head going, that's 20 bucks I'll never get back. Because it's all mine. I gave them the money to then buy me a present. But in their emotion, in their excitement, in their giddiness, they're not thinking through that. And just like us and our emotion and our excitement, we don't understand that everything that we have is actually not ours. 
And we can talk about worldly possessions, but we can even talk about what led us to the worldly possessions. What gifts, skill sets do you possess that is making you the money that you have now? And where did that come from? Because I promise you, I have a desire with all that I am to serenade my wife with a guitar and to sing loud. And I am awful. There's nothing in me. I can hear, but I can't, I can't sing. I would love just to like, hey, boo, let's come, let's like, yeah, I'll stop there because you know where I'm going, <laughs> right? I don't, I don't possess any of that. So we can talk about, yes, there's work ethic there, but, but there's no D1 athlete, there's no professional athlete that would fully admit that my work ethic got me here. All of them know at some level, I was just really fast and didn't understand it. Right? Like I was just good at sports, and so I just kind of fed into it. So even the ability that we have to get us into the money that we possess is all the riches of God, that we are his. So the riches that we have are ultimately his to begin with. So God is supremely rich. There's nothing that he cannot do that he does not own. But that's where the rub starts to come in, but, but it's mine, but I worked for it. I'm the supreme one in this situation. Do you not understand the, the four years of school that I just went through? Do you not understand what all I did, how hard I've worked? That is my retirement. That is my money. That is my possessions. No, it's, it's his church. It's always been his. It always will be his. Because Romans 11, that he is supremely rich. Here's just a couple of verses. Job 41, 11. Who was first given to me that I may repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalms 24 1 The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. So let's think deeply for a second, church. What is it that we own? Do we own any riches? Are they all a supreme gift from God that owns everything? Oh, the depth of his riches, that he is supreme over every riches there are. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge. So I'm going to take those out of order real fast. The knowledge of God. Now, there's some of us in this room, like me, that go, yep, check, I'm done. I get it. God is all supreme in knowledge because I'm an idiot. Last night when I was finishing up my sermon, I misspelled intelligence. There we go. Like, of all these that I'm having to wrestle with, knowledge is not one of them. But let's just for a second understand the supremacy of his knowledge because he knows everything. This just, as I was thinking through this and studying this, this just made my brain hurt. That right now in this moment, he knows everything past, present, and future. Okay, just kind of let that sail up for a second. Everything past, present, and future. He knows every micro thing, how Adam work inside your body right now, how insulin is being created and how all the little macro, things that we don't even understand yet, he knows. But then also macro. He knows what wars we're getting into in the next couple of years. He knows how many kids some of you guys are going to have. He knows how many grandkids. He knows everything. The knowledge, the depth of his knowledge knows no bounds. That that pit just keeps going and going, the depth of his knowledge. Now let me just kind of tease this out for a second. Just think through things that you thought you knew that now you know are wrong. Just think about it for a second. 
Things that uh, maybe 10 years, 15 years, maybe two years ago, college units, maybe yesterday, things that you were so certain in this knowledge and now you know they're wrong. Like I knew 100% that I was going to be an electrician. Nope. I knew that I was not going to have kids. I actually stood up on the church, the last church I was at, and said, we're never having kids. That next day, Bree was pregnant. Not a funny joke. Still bitter about it. <laughs> right? I mean, we can just keep going through the list. I knew that I could fix anything. No, that ain't true. Right? I knew that I, I knew how to be a man. I knew that people had my best interest in mind. That's not true either. I knew that I hated coffee. Oh, church, how bad would it be if I still hated coffee? I wouldn't be here with you. But just think about it. What are the things that you thought you knew that are totally different? We can go through the education system. We can go through life experiences. We can go through hurts that we've experienced. That we know the knowledge that we have is not supreme. So are we going to trust in the one that is supreme in the knowledge of everything or are we going to keep pretending like it's all us? 1 Samuel 2, 3 puts it this way. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come through your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. Church, stop ask, acting arrogant. We have to stop talking like we know everything because our God is knowledge. So be okay with the mystery. Be okay with the I don't know. That we try to create the answers on our own. What we're saying is we're the ones that are supreme. You have to look at me. You have to trust me that I am the one that has all the answers and that's robbing God of his glory. We have to trust that he is the one of knowledge. And just think about it. Matthew 10, God knows the hairs on your head. Psalm 147, God knows the number of stars in the sky. Matthew 6, he knows our needs before we ask them. Psalm 139, he knows us deeply when we lay down and when we get up. And we don't even know if Pluto is a planet. God knows all, every detail, big, macro level, small, micro level. He knows the desires in your heart right now in this moment. I think that's the emotion that a lot of us get tripped up on. We'll get here in a minute, but the supremacy of God, nine times out of ten, is damaged because of the hurt that we've experienced. That we, don't, we think that he didn't know that. God, if you knew me, you, why did you let this happen? If you knew how I would react, why did this situation take place the way that it did? Oh, verse 33, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. So we see here wisdom and knowledge, and a lot of times those things in Scripture can be synonymous, but here Paul separates them now, that, that the knowledge is the awareness of facts, but the wisdom is to what to do with those facts. So the knowledge here, God knows everything, but he's also wise enough to play it out in the way that it should happen. He's not going to abuse those facts. Because I mean, we can make the argument, right, that if God is supreme, could he use that for supreme evil? That is a characteristic, that is a framework that we have to work out. How do we know if God is supreme that he's not supremely evil? Because there would be no wisdom in him. There would be no goodness in him. So this wisdom that we see is not only does he have the knowledge, but he also knows how to use it. 
And for us, I just don't know that we have a framework for this. We don't have enough life experience. We don't have enough uh, big picture views of what this actually looks like. Because we have all been, like, for instance, I've had this happen two times in two different situations. Uh, one, this guy that I grew up with. One, this guy in Gainesville. That we have had a lot of friends that invested their money into this guy. Because the knowledge that they had was this guy's going to take this and he's going to take care of me. And we're going to get a good return for this investment. And all their money is gone. Tens of thousands of thousands of dollars is gone. So is that a knowledge issue or is that a wisdom issue? It's both. That they didn't have the knowledge that this guy was going to rip them off or they wouldn't have done that. But if they would have had the wisdom to understand the knowledge of the situation, they probably wouldn't have done that either. So what we have this misconception is if I know everything, then I will make the wise decision. But we simply know that's not true. How many of us know that sugar is not bad for us and we continue to do it? How many of us know that it's a good thing to save for retirement and how many of us are doing it? Right, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. How many know that we need seven to eight hours of sleep per night? How many of us are doing it? So we think that if we have enough knowledge, we will make wise decisions Church, we are thinking too supremely of ourselves. God is the only one that knows and acts in wisdom every single time. That the knowledge that he has leads to the wisdom. Praise God for that. Here's just two quick verses. Romans eleven thirty four, For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? We think that in our infinite knowledge and in our supreme wisdom that we can tell God how to do his job. We don't, we don't want that. Isaiah 40 puts it this way. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? No one. God is in supreme knowledge, supreme wisdom, is ruling supremely over all of us this morning. Oh, the depths of his riches, of his wisdom, of his knowledge. So this begs the question, why don't we believe in his supremacy? Why don't we trust in his riches? Why don't we trust in his wisdom? Why don't we trust in his knowledge? I I think there's two things as we start to consider this and and wrap this up. Uh, The first one is that we don't worship him. That we see how Paul ends this. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That this leads Paul, oh, the excitement, oh, to the glory of God forever, amen, that they worship him. John Piper has this story where he was teaching Romans 8 through 11 to a seminary class. And he's wrapping up, he's on this passage, he's on the whiteboard drawing out this diagram, how Piper does, and his hair's going all crazy. And behind him, the doxology breaks out. That a room full of students start, start singing uh, a cappella, the doxology. And Piper tells the story of like, he had no idea what was happening, but it hit him. To him be the glory forever. The students got it when they read this passage, where they understood the depth of his riches and his knowledge and his wisdom. The only thing that these students could do in this classroom was to sing the doxology. Oh, praise him. So when we understand the supremacy, if this does not lead to worship, church, we don't understand his supremacy. If this emotion does not stir up in us, oh, the depths of all that he is, and we go, cool, you want to go get some tacos? 
then we have no framework for the supremacy of who God actually is. Because he could use this for evil and instead he uses it for good. All the grace, all the mercy, all the love that he has bestowed upon us comes solely through his supremacy. So does worship break out in our hearts when we think through the supremacy of who God is? That nothing that you've gone through, nothing that you're experiencing is because he turned his back. He forgot about you. He's not an ambulance driver showing up just to rescue you from the thing that he should have fixed to begin with. This should breed worship in us. The doxology should just randomly, or any worship song for that matter, should just spontaneously erupt in our hearts constantly when we think through this. And I think the reason it doesn't, twofold. One, we don't understand the bigness of God. There's a phrase that's kind of going through the evangelical world right now, and it's big God theology. I think we've limited God. We've put God in a box We forgot how big, how massive he actually is. And it's an inverse relationship. When we make God smaller, we make ourselves bigger. That that we're the ones that are in control. We're the ones that rule the planet. We're the ones that rule the universe. I know what's best for me, right? There's no truth other than my truth that's slipped into American Christianity. That truth is relative. Truth is whatever I say it is. False. And aren't we glad that that's false? The truth is God's truth. We've got to zoom out. We've got to see a bigger picture of God. And and why can't we? I would argue it's a humility issue. I would would just, based on what we see in Scripture, I would say that it's it's a humbling issue. Do do me this favor real quick. Flip over to Job 38. I kind of jumped back and forth on whether I was going to do this, but... We're going to let the Bible be the Bible. We're going to read the entire chapter of Job 38 as we end. Because I could explain why we need to humble ourselves, or I could let God, in his own words, tell us why we need to humble ourselves. I mean, we, we have to worship him and praise him for putting us where he put us in America, in this culture today, but we have to understand that in our context, American breeds arrogance, breeds self-sufficiency, breeds the American dream is that you can do whatever you put your mind to. Is that big God theology or is that small God theology, right? So a lot of us are familiar with the story of Job, uh, that God has allowed Satan to do certain things in his life And this is God's response as Job is doubted and wondered and pleaded with him. We're going to pick it up, verse 1, Job 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the world and said, Who is that darkness counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. So here's God giving us questions that we need to ponder. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Verse 6. On what were its measure, or excuse me, what was its basis sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together 
And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out of the womb? When I made clouds its garments and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far, far shall you come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It has changed like clays under the seal, and its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, an uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the spring of the sea or walked into the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehend the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all of this. God is looking at Job and saying, do you know how everything happened, how everything came to be? If you do, then come on up, Job. It's yours. You can have it all. And we could keep going, but I think we have to understand what's happening in Job to humble ourselves. God is literally asking, where were you when I hung the stars in the sky? Where were you when I filled the depths of the oceans? Where were you when I created all of this? That's right, you weren't here. You know nothing. Church, the depth of our knowledge is as deep as a kiddie pool. If that, maybe an Altoid can. We have to understand that we have no depth of knowledge. We must humble ourselves. I'm, I'm going to end it there, but go read Job 38, the rest of 38. Go read Job 39. Understand as God is speaking into Job, what is happening. But I love Job's response. Flip over to Job 40. Job 40, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Oh man, what a question, church. Should a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, and I will not answer twice, but I proceed no further. I flip over to Job 42, where you see Job's other response. Job 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, repent in dust and ashes. I think Job's response, I can't say it any better. Cover your mouth, humble your part, your heart, repent, and believe that God is supreme. And listen, church, we either understand this or he will help us to understand this. Does that make sense? We either humble ourselves or God will humble you. There's no middle ground. That we can believe this, that we can submit to his supremacy or our life will etch the life of Job and he will make us humble. As we start to understand the supremacy, let me maybe end with one thing. 
what does this look like to the world around us? I mean, if, we, if we're here, if we're trying to share the gospel, we're spreading the good news of how big God is, what, what does this look like to you think the world around us when we're constantly fretting and worrying and putting ourselves higher than God? The world will su- see the supremacy of God in our valuing God supremely. Let me say that one more time. The world will see the supreme value of God and are valuing God supremely. So everyone around us has a conception or misconception of God based on how we're choosing to live our life. Are we living our life that God is supreme, that the depths of his riches and wisdom and knowledge know no bounds, or the depths of our riches and wisdom and knowledge knows no bounds? And we have to answer. We have to spend time confessing our sin. We have to humble ourselves. We have to put our hands over our mouth, like Job said. We have to realize that we were nowhere, that we only have everything because of God has given it to us, because he is supreme. So in a second, we're going to take communion. We've got a table over there. We've got a table over here. And this is a perfect time for us to examine our hearts, to think through, to ponder through. Do we value God supremely? Or have we put ourselves on that space? And I know the question as we start to take communion is, is how do we actually know the supremacy of God? How do we know if we're valuing God supremely? And this is the perfect time as we take communion, as we break the bread which represents his body, as we dip it in the juice that represents his blood. Because Colossians 2 says it this way, to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge. So where is all of God's treasure? Where is all of his wisdom? Where is all of his knowledge? It's in his son. So as we partake in this communion this morning, let us pray, let us examine our hearts, and let us repent. Let us put our hands on our mouth, stop talking back to the God of the universe, and worship him for being the supreme creator creator over everything. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you are supreme. Jesus, we, we know that sometimes we wrestle with that, that we want to be in control, that we want to be in power. And uh, Father, you've given us our house and our families and our relationships. And it's easy for us to, to look around us and think that we are knowledgeable, that we are wise, that we are rich. But God, apart from you and your supreme nature and character, we're nothing. So, Father, as we take communion this morning, let us wrestle with this. Do we value you as supreme? Do we understand that the depth of your riches and wisdom and knowledge knows no limits and knows no bounds? Father, would we confess our sin? Would we lay everything down? Would we worship you for who you truly are? And like Job, would we wrestle through what is holding us back from valuing you as supreme? What is limiting us to see the bigness of who you actually are? Father, what sin, what hurt, what worries, what fears do we have that are keeping us from trusting you fully with all knowledge, wisdom, and riches?
are supreme. There is no rival. There's no power. There's no authority. There's no principality. There's nothing that can hold a candle to you. And this should lead us to worship. Because in your bigness, in your supremacy, you still love us. That you sent your son to make a way for us. And all of your knowledge of who we are and the wickedness of our hearts. In your wisdom, you still sent your son to rescue us, to redeem us, to become a curse for us. And in your supremacy, you had to do none of that. But it's only by your riches, it's by your wisdom, it's by your grace, it's by your knowledge that you've made a way for us when there was no way. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Church, as we examine our hearts, as we wrestle through this, we can respond through worship, we can respond through communion. Uh, Whenever you're ready, both of those are open.